listen up. Listen up. And let me encourage you one last time in this series to listen up. As we're going to look at the last of the seven churches here in the book of Revelation, we've gone through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, the first chapter was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll kind of probably kind of conclude a little bit speaking about that. But we're on the seventh church called the Church of Laodicea. And it's found at the end of chapter 3. So Revelation chapter 3. As uh, John wrote this letter under the inspiration, obviously, of the Lord. And the Lord has a message to each of these seven churches. And eight times in the first three chapters, he says, listen. Listen to what this spirit has to say. And each time to each of the seven churches, he says, listen up. Listen to what the spirit has to say to the churches. And so we have a lot to cover In a very short amount of time, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word this morning as we read it here in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and you are so good. We serve such an awesome God. And Lord, uh, we are here today, first and foremost, to, to worship you, to honor you, and to glorify you. May you be exalted. May you be lifted up. Lord, may you be welcome here. Lord, it... It's amazing as we look at this church here in a few moments, the church of Laodicea, that literally you say you're on the outside of the church, knocking and wanting to come in. Oh, Lord, I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you are here with us today, that you are not on the outside of this church, but you are in here with us. As we open up your word, I pray that you would Help us, Lord, to truly be honest with ourselves and to evaluate ourselves. To search our hearts. And to see if there's not a little Laodicea even within us. So I pray that you would bless your word. Give me clarity, Lord. I pray that you would guide my lips. And I'd only speak the things that you would have me speak today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at the church of Laodicea this morning in Revelation chapter 3. You're going to find that this is the strongest of all warnings to the different churches that the Lord Jesus has. And uh, man, there's a lot here. So you guys ready? Hang on. Let's do it, all right? Buckle up. Hang on. It's going to be just full bore. Let's just get after it. We're going to just bring it, okay? He says this. In Revelation 3, you can follow along or if you have it on your phone or on your Bible there. Verses 14 through 22, he says this. To the angel or the messenger or pastor of the church in Laodicea, write. He says, this is what I want you to write. And so John writes this letter. He says, these are the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, or the beginning of God's creation, some versions will say. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, one or the other, he says. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. He literally says, to, the, to this church, this is harsh, but he says to the Laodicean church, you make me sick. Wow. Everybody say wow right there. It's okay. 
I mean, what would you do if, if I got up and said, you make me sick? You'd be like, oh, my God, that's strong. This is strong. You guys understand, this is strong. You say, he says to this church, he says, this is what you say. You say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. He says, but you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Interesting here, he says, I counsel you. This is the one church that he gives counsel to. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in a fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And notice what he says, salve, to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So he says, be earnest. It'll say this. It says, be zealous. The same idea. Be zealous, he says, and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is this message the message to the church of Laodicea for you and I today, the answer is what? Yes. This message is for us today. And so we're going to look at this letter that John, as he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he writes the book of Revelation, the apocalypsis. The idea is the revealing. So we saw the first chapter was the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of the things to come, he says. He says, take these letters and send them out to the seven churches. But we know that the, the letters that were written to each of these seven churches, they were real churches, just like this church, just like Red Hills that you walked in today. They were churches just like ours. The message was not only for those churches, but the message is still relevant for us today. It is the word of the Lord to us today in 2023. Remember that the seven churches were in what's what we call today modern-day Turkey, in that time was Asia Minor. And he sent out the letters to seven different, it's the, the kind of the postal route. And this is the last of the seven churches that he writes to. And so what, what we see here each week, we kind of unveil and unpack each, each of these portions. The first thing we see is Christ. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write these words. And how does Christ describe himself. He describes himself in three ways. He says he's the amen. He's the amen. By the way, do we know what the word amen means? The word amen means let it be so or so be it. It's an affirmation after something is said or done. And so if I say, hey, church, and all God's people said, and everyone says amen, they're saying let it be so. It's true. So be it. Jesus says I am the amen. I am the affirmation of all that God has said and all that God has done. I am that affirmation. He says, I am the amen. He says, he's echoing the word and work of God. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And then he says this. He says that he is the beginning of creation. That he is the beginning of all creation. And I want to share a couple of passages with you because I want you to understand what Jesus is doing is he is saying this. He is saying to this church, because he's about to say some very strong things to this church, he is saying, I am God. I am deity. I am not only Jesus Christ, the Savior. I am God. And he's about to literally just let this church have it. Do you guys understand this? Because he's about to say, you make me sick. And some people might say, well, what gives him the right to say, you make me sick? He's God. He cre he's creator of all things. He created them. It was Christ who died for this church. He gave his life for this church. And so Jesus here is saying, I am the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. But more importantly than that, he's saying, I am the beginning of all creation. I am the one who created all things. Let me remind you of something. Jesus Christ was not created. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ has always been. The Bible says in John, the same author who wrote the book here of Revelation, the apostle John said it like this in John 1, verses 1 through 3. And if we have it, we'll put it up there. In John 1, 1 through 3, it says this. It says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, speaking of Christ, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, meaning He's always been. Now notice what it says about Christ. Through Him, through Christ, through this Word, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So understand this. Jesus was not created. He was the Creator. Amen. He created all things. All things were made by him. And the Bible says all things were made for him. And through him, all things consist or held together. This is so important. Because understand what makes Christianity different than many other religions and many other teachings is this. Is that Jesus is one with God. That Jesus is God. And that Jesus has always been. And that Jesus is not a created being, but Jesus Christ is the author of all creation. Amen. The Bible says in Colossians, and this will tie into what we're about to say in a moment when we look at this church of Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. Paul says in Colossians, he says this, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things, speaking of Jesus Christ, in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. And I love this. Visible and invisible. This is thousands of years ago. He's speaking of DNA. He's speaking of atoms. He's speaking of things scientifically that they had no comprehension of. But yet he says visible and invisible. Do you guys understand that there were invisible things, but yet they were created? How many of you can bear witness to that? Amen? The author's writing about things that scientifically they had no clue about yet. Are you with me, church? The Bible is relevant. I'm telling you, this is so powerful, so real. He says the things that are visible and invisible. He says these things, and he goes on. Then he speaks about whether thrones or powers... Not just physical thrones, but spiritual thrones and spiritual powers. Darkness, the rulers 
You notice his powers or rulers or authorities. He's speaking both realms, physical and spiritual. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. So we see that Christ is saying, I am the creator. I am, the, I am divine. I am God. I see all things. I know all things. And he's writing this letter to the church, and he's addressing this church because he's going to confront them. But he's reminding them of his authority, of who he is, and that he has all right and authority to judge this church. You know, you and I may say, well, who, who, who has the right to judge? I can tell you this. Maybe I don't have the right to judge, or you have the right to judge, but he has the right to judge because he's God. And he created them. And not only did Christ create them, understand this, Christ came and willingly died for this church. The Bible says that he purchased a church with his own blood. And so we see Christ. Let's talk a little bit about the city of Laodicea. This will help us understand the things that Jesus is pointing out and the illustrations that he's using to this church. Like, you might be saying, why did he say that you're lukewarm and you make me want to throw up? There's reasons for it, okay? What do we know about the city of Laodicea? We can put a few pictures up there. There's, I think, a few up there. There's Laodicea, the seventh church, and there's a couple others of just the remains. But understand this. The city of Laodicea was the last of the seven churches, and this is the remains. There's actually... Is some remains of what they believed to be the actual church where the saints gathered in Laodicea. And you're going to see why he speaks a little bit about lukewarm in the water, why he speaks a little bit about wealth, why he speaks about their clothing, and why he speaks um, a little bit about anointing their eyes. Here's why. The city of Laodicea was a city between 75 and 100, many people believe, to be approximately a 100,000 people. It was part of a tri-city area. And the reason why Colossians is important, and it was mentioned by the Apostle Paul, Paul wrote a letter to Colossians. Colossae, or what we know as the Colossian church, was less than 10 miles away. So you had the Colossian church, you had the Laodicean church, and then six miles away was a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis was a city between 75 and 80,000, and then Colossae was a city of about 25 to 30,000. And then you had Laodicea kind of there in the middle. And it was on a, a river valley called the Lycus River Valley. But the water was not very good. It wasn't water that you would want to drink, water that you would want to have. So we're going to speak of this in a moment. They had to pipe the water in from Hierapolis. But these three cities were all closely related. And the things that were going on in these cities, they were all dealing with. It's interesting because there was a letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossian church. In Colossians 4, he says, take this letter, and he says, make sure that you give it to the Laodiceans, the church at Laodicea, and let them read it. In fact, it even says this, that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. Now, we don't know where that letter is. There's speculation. But he also wrote a letter 
to the church of Laodicea. He says, make sure that you swap them back and forth and you read each other's letters because Paul, 30 years before, was dealing with some things. One of the things that Paul was dealing with was this, is that there was false teachers that came into the church of Laodicea, false church uh, teachers, especially in Colossae, that were teaching that Jesus was not God. That Jesus was not God, he was, he was just another great prophet. So there was false teaching. And so what letter did we read just a moment ago? We read the letter to the Colossians, correct? And what was the thing that Jesus was emphasizing, that, 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 that God was emphasizing in that letter? What did Paul emphasize? That Jesus was what? That he was God, that he was creator. And so the church of Laodicea, many believe, was infiltrated with false teaching. And before long, the church grew to what we call to be lukewarm. But this city was a wealthy city. So here was the four main areas of the city of Laodicea. They were wealthy. They were a banking city. They had banks. What does Jesus emphasize? He talks about their what? Poverty. But they were a rich city. Something else that's mentioned about the city is this. It mentions uh, the anointing their eyes with eye salve. They actually found a medical school and that there were medical facilities there in the city of Laodicea. And one of the main things that they discovered was that there was an eye salve. They would take powders that they found and they would make them into a putty almost like a dough. And when people had eye irritations and allergies, and when they had issues with their eyes, they would anoint their eyes with this eye salve to help their eyes so they could see. Isn't this interesting? The other thing about this city was a textile city, <clears throat> meaning this, that they created wool. In this region, in the Laodicean, that uh, that, that valley, they were creating a black wool. It was a glossy material. So they made a black wool and made clothing out of it. So think about this. It's wealthy. It's a banking city. He addresses their spiritual poverty. It was a textile city that made clothes. He says, you're, you're naked. You, you say you have clothes, but you're naked. It addresses the, the idea of the, the, the medical issue and that they, in particular, made ointments for the eyes and he says you need to put some eye salve on your eyes so you can see do you understand what the lord is doing here and the last one is interesting was this the water supply the Lycus river did not have good clean water and so what they did was they they found literally and they still you can look online and find pictures they hollowed out stone they hollowed out stone and and made a piping system and they piped piped the water five, almost six miles from Hierapolis. If you look at Hierapolis, it's still a well-preserved city. It's an ancient city like Laodicea. Much of it's still there. The cool thing about it is one thing that they have there, they have these amazing hot springs that they use medicinally. You can actually go there today and still go sit in those hot springs. And so follow me now. What they did is they began to pipe the water from Hierapolis. But you know what water they piped, the type of water they piped in? They piped the water, they believe, from the hot springs, that same water. And they ran the hot spring water all the way, almost five to six miles. And in that time, that's a pretty amazing feat. They brought the water in to Laodicea. What they found is this. When they began to study the pipes, most of the pipes were completely calcified and many of them closed because of all the minerals. 
And by the way, that water started out hot, but by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, what do you think? How do you think the water tasted? It tasted what? Lukewarm. Not only did it taste lukewarm, but it probably smelled. And they say that, that basically the big issue there was the water. It was gross. It was disgusting. How many of you have ever been to a big city and tasted nasty, gross, disgusting water? Been there, done that. Any people from Vegas here, you know? <laughs> California, L.A.? Have you ever, oh man, I, like I said, I did inner city ministry in Philadelphia. All oh, the water's nasty, it's gross. And so the water most likely had a bad odor and it stunk and it was difficult to drink. It was lukewarm. And then we have the church. The church of Laodicea. Some would call it the lukewarm church. So let's very quickly, we have just a few moments, but quickly. You say, that's just the introduction. No, that's most of the sermon. Because if you don't understand what Jesus is going to address and what he's about to say, if you don't understand that Jesus is using everyday, if you will, object lessons to communicate to this church. Does this make sense? And so when we look at this church, we, we broke it down each week, Christ commending them or complimenting them. Here's this sad fact. There is none. Not one. There was one other church that he was very hard on that we studied, but he said at least there's a few of you that are still living for God and on fire for God. When Christ writes this church, there's none, there's zero, there's zilts, there's nothing. There's nothing. How sad it is that this church that once was a prominent church, once a church that was on fire for God, once a church that was being greatly used by God, and even Paul was addressing and writing the church years earlier, and we see that now this church has lost all impact, all influence, and it's so much so, and we're going to see this in a moment, that Christ isn't even welcome in the church. Wow, that's pretty scary. And so there is no compliment to this church, none. We see Christ confronting them. Some would say condemning or confronting, chastening this church. He says here, I like this in this passage, he says, whom the Lord loves, he rebukes, he chastens. And because the Lord loves this church and he's not finished with this church and he desires to still use this church, he confronts this church and, he, and he's strong with what he says and he, and he, he calls them out. And so he confronts this church for their indifference. He says to them right off the get-go, he's reminding them of the water. He says, you make me sick. You're lukewarm. You make me sick. You make me want to spit you out of my mouth. Growing up, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and you'd, I'd go to my friend's house and people's houses who lived outside of the city, and they would have well water. How many of you ever had well water before? Some of you know. Some of you live here, you have well water. And I remember my one friend's house, they had this well water. You did not drink it. They had like a water purification system. You, could, you would have to run it through like reverse osmosis, and you'd have to run it through a system just so you could drink it. But it had so many minerals, and one of the minerals that was really strong with was like a sulfur smell. And how many of you know what sulfur smells like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like rotten eggs, you know? And I remember I go over to my friend's house and I remember the first time I went in the bathroom and turned the water on and I thought someone else had just used the bathroom right before me. You know what I mean? I was like, oh. 
I was like, what is that smell? And then I remember I put, put the shower on. When I put the shower on, I'm like, why would you shower in this? It smelled like rotten eggs. It had this sulfur, like, Ugh. and I remember I'm showering, and I'm like, this, is this really getting me clean? I smell worse than when I got in here. The water that was coming into this, this, this city was lukewarm had a poor taste and an awful smell. And then he says to this church, he says, just like that, that smell of that rancid water and that, that lukewarm water, he says to them, that's how I feel about you. That's what I, when I see you, that's what I think about you. And you might be saying, wow, this is awfully strong. Well, it is strong, but it's necessary. And he says to them, you make me sick. You make me want to vomit Make me want to spit you out of my mouth. The same way that when you drink that water that you have to plug your nose and try to, try to, he says, that's how you make me feel. Wow. He says to this church, I'd rather you be hot or cold. And we all understand this concept. When we want something to drink, we'd rather either be hot or cold, correct? But lukewarm, uh. You see what Jesus is saying about this church is he's saying this. He says, you have become so passive. You're lukewarm. You have no zeal. You have no fire. You have a form of religion. You say you're a Christ follower, but there's really nothing to it. They were passive. I'm a wrestling coach. And um, it's different than a lot of sports because if you, we call it stall, if you're not active, you get penalized. In fact, there's people getting ready for here in the near future, the, the, you know, we call it the, the Olympics and the, you know, the Greco-Roman Olympics. And you think about the Olympics and wrestling. One of the things is there's a call, it's called a passivity call. As two wrestlers are out there wrestling and as they're, they're supposed to be trying to work the score and wrestling, if one wrestler is passive, the ref literally will have a call. It's called a passivity call and he'll make this call and now you have a certain amount of time for you to actually start working and you have to try to score. And if you don't, you're going to be penalized. See, this church had become passive. They were, I guess you could say, spiritually dead. They were claimed to be followers of Christ. They claim to, to, to know Christ and to be followers of Christ, yet there was, there was nothing happening. It was just, they were just lukewarm. They weren't on fire and they weren't unbelievers. They were somewhere in the middle. Let me say it like this. They weren't atheists because they believed in God, but they were what I would call practical atheists. Let that sink in just for a moment. Pastor Joe, what do you mean by practical atheists? What I mean is this. Is that they believed in God. And they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believed in the Savior. And they were, what we would say, they were Christ followers. But follow me now. Nothing in their life demonstrated that they believed that. There are many scholars who say this. That each church represents an age of time. And many scholars say this. I, I would say I think it's probably a lot of truth to this. That the, 
that the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, is the age in which you and I live today. Where many people claim to be a Christian. They claim to be a follower of Christ. So let me go a little bit farther. They claim that they believe the Bible, but here's the problem. They say they believe in God. They say that they believe that the Scriptures are the Word of God, but their life does not demonstrate that. Are you with me, church? Nothing about their life demonstrates that they're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe they go to church, or maybe they're a part of the church, but come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, nothing in their life demonstrates that they truly believe that there is a God. May I say to you, that is why so many of our young people, young people who go off to college, who grew up in church their whole life, while they're walking away from the church, while they're leaving, while they're in droves leaving. You know why? Because the church has become so lukewarm. We claim that we believe in a God, but our life does not demonstrate that there really is a God. We say we believe in God, but we don't vote like we believe in God. Woo-hoo. Come on now. Pastor, you went from preaching to meddling. Yeah, I did. We say we believe in God, but we don't live like we believe that there's a God. We say that the Bible is God's word and that we believe the Bible but we don't live it. Are you guys, is this, we can get out of here if you all just start saying amen, let it be so. (laughs) That nothing in our life demonstrates that I'm a follower of Christ. That nothing about my life is any different than those we're lukewarm, we're passive. That nothing in my life is different from all those who say there is no God. If you you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that God is real and you have his spirit dwelling within us, there ought to be something different about us. Amen? That's what he's saying. And what's so sad is here is one of the root problems of this church. You ready for it? You ready for this lukewarm Laodicean church? What led them to this place is this. Is that they were living, if you will, A a religion that is this, that they are not atheists, but they're practical atheists. But what led them to this point, you ready for the one word? This is what my word for the church. Haven't read it anywhere else? Haven't heard another scholar say it? I know we call them lukewarm, but can I tell you, this is what I think about this church. You know what I see when I read here? Jesus says, you say you're wealthy. He says, I say you're poor. You say that you you have it all together. I say that you're wretched, you're miserable, and you need to to put on some eyes off. You know what he calls this church? If if Jesus was here today, you know what the word Jesus would use? They're delusional. The delusional church. How many of you have ever met someone that's just completely delusional? They have no clue. And in their mind, they believe it. They believed that they were where they were supposed to be and living the way they were supposed to be. And this is why the Lord, I believe, is so harsh with this church. is because they were so filled with pride. And this pride caused them to be so delusional that they thought, he says, you say you're wealthy. He says, but you're not. You say you have these beautiful garments and you're dressed and finally he goes, you're not, you're naked. He says, you're miserable. You make me sick. 
He says, you're delusional and you need to wake up from this delusional world that you're in. When I was a youth pastor years ago, we would have these big church picnics and at the church picnics we would play softball. And it would always be the youth. They'd always say, we're the, you know, we're going to have the, the youth play the older guys in church. And of course the youth think that they just have it all together. And all they see is a bunch of guys with big old dad bods, you know. Don't underestimate those dudes, bro. Let me tell you. There's something about that dad strength. Amen? Man, there's something about that dad strength. And I was just a young, young youth guy. I was even younger than Anthony back there. I was in my early 20s and youth pastor. And, and I used to play baseball. I coached baseball. In fact, I was coaching baseball when I was in, out in Oregon. And then I coached wrestling, involved in wrestling, and, and then uh, also football. I've been a football coach over the years, too. So I can usually gauge and tell someone that's at least usually pretty good, like, okay, pretty athletic, not so athletic. And I remember it was our first time we're doing this. And we had, you know, 15, 20 teenagers, and we're going to, and they, we got challenged by all the, the grown men, you know, and they're laughing at them, oh, look at, making fun of their dads. You're fat, you're slow. <laughs> remember this one kid, he's a sophomore in high school. He's kind of tall, and, and it's weird, but I remember even how he walks. He would walk like this, you know, when he'd walk. And he's tall. And he wanted to play first base. And I, in my mind, I'm like, I've never seen a kid play. You know, don't judge book, book by its cover, but I was like, dude, he's not athletic. I just know he's not athletic. It's not going to work. He's like, no, no, I can play first. I'm really good. I played in Little League, and I'm really good. And I was like, dude, are you sure? He's like, yeah. Well, my brother-in-law, much younger than me, my brother-in-law, he was a, a lefty, and he was a pitcher, and he'd play infield, and he had a rocket. You probably know where this story's going. <laughs> And he's like, well, I'll play, I'll play on the infield. I'll play shortstop. And so this big, tall, gangly kid's like, okay, I'll play first base. And I kept saying to him, are you sure? He goes, no, no, I'm really good. I'm really good. He's like, he's like, brother Joe, I promise you, I won't let you down, you know. I was like, okay. So we get out there. Sure enough, first pitch, one of the kids pitches it up there. One of these big old, you know, dads with this big belly. Dude, he got a hold of it. Hits like a hard grounder to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law picks it up, feels it. Of course, he's left-handed. And, dude, he fires a rocket, like a rocket over the first, first base. I'm standing out in center field, okay? And I see this kid like this. And I'm like, in my mind, it was like slow motion. But I'm like, surely he's going to raise his glove. Surely he's going to raise his glove. <laughs> I kid you not, the ball hit him right in the middle of the head. I heard it from the outfield like a thud, like a... Just a boom, thud, and the ball goes flying like 30, 40 yards, you know, like way out. And, the, and the, the dad just runs around the bases, you know, and he gets a home run, and the kid's over there. And I, I remember I go over, I'm like, dude, he's gonna, the kid's like practically unconscious. You could see the softball threads <laughs> imprinted on his head. And I said, so you can play first base, can you, huh? Need to say he sat out the rest of the game. You know, and should have went to the emergency room, probably cracked his skull. Can I give you, I'm going to tell you something. That is one delusional kid, let me tell you. This church was delusional. I'm amazing. I'm great. We're great. We got it all together. And the Lord confronts them. And he says, I, who I love, I rebuke. Who I love, I'm going to chasten. 
and he scathes this church. He says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, and you're naked. It's interesting because he uses this word. He says, I counsel you. He counsels you. I counsel you. In a couple of the verses here, he says to them, we're almost out of time, but he says this, anoint your eyes. He speaks of that medicine that they have. And what he's saying is in a spiritual sense, he says, you need to anoint your eyes. You need to wake up. He says, you need to see clearly and see yourselves the way that I see you. They were delusional. And he says, you need to get some spiritual perception. You need to get your vision right because you cannot see right. You don't see what I see. It's interesting because one of his words of counsel to this church is this, is he says, be zealous. He says, be earnest, be zealous. The word zealous means to burn with seal, to be heated, or the idea is to, to, to boil. He says, you need to get back on fire for the Lord. And then he tells the church, you need to repent. He says, repent. And let me give you the key to all of this. It's a verse that's so often misrepresented and misused in Scripture. Is Revelation 3.20 where he says this. Jesus said, and many of you know this verse, and you could probably quote it. He says, here am I. He says, behold, or here am I. What does Jesus say? He says, behold, I stand at the door and what? Not. If any man will open the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with them and he with me. We often think that this verse is speaking to people who are unbelievers, who are not followers of Christ, that he's knocking on the door of the heart. And we can apply it that way. But can I tell you, the true interpretation is this. Jesus is speaking to the church. How crazy it is that the church that Jesus Christ not only created and he literally died for, he's on the outside knocking, wanting to come in. Let me read a text from you from one of my good friends, pastor friend. He's a young man I led to the Lord in Columbia, Missouri. Met one of the ladies in her church, started coming. That's a good reason to get guys into church sometimes. Met a young lady, long story short, came to church, accepted Christ, got baptized, the, little, the young lady, she grew up in her church. She started out, my wife had her in like five, six years old. She grew up in the church. Both went to school there in University of Missouri, went to college. Then God called him into ministry. They helped us go start a church out in Tucson, Arizona, and now he's pastoring a church. He's pastoring a church in Carolina. This week we were texting and visiting a little bit, but this is what he said. He said that he was in church, just so you have the context. And it was kind of like a church meeting or something. And he kind of had a little bit of a debate with one of the, one of the, the men, one of the members in the church. And right in the meeting, the, this is what the, one of the men said, and I quote, because he said, well, he says, well, it's in the Bible. The Bible says it right here. And the man said, I quote, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. And he said it got a few raised eyebrows by the other people in the church. You say, well, that's an awful drastic statement. But can I say this? He just vocalized it. But I think there's a lot of Christians who are living that way. Come on now. I don't care what the Bible says. I know that the Bible says abortion is murder, but I don't care what the Bible says. We could add so many other things to that. I know I should live a clean and holy life, but I don't care what the Bible says. 
I would say to you that that scary place to be where Christ is on the outside of the church. And he says, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. And I believe this is the key to this lukewarm, delusional church is this. As he says, if you open the door, I will come in, come in and I'll have fellowship with you and you with me. I believe that our passion and our zeal and being on fire for the Lord comes through our fellowship with Christ. Amen. The more we spend with Jesus Christ and that we, we, we have that fellowship with him and he with us, he says, you'll get that zeal. He says, I, I tell you, anoint your eyes. See yourself for who you really are. Quit being delusional. Be zealous, he says, and repent. I'm standing at the door. Will you let me in so I can have this fellowship with you? And then he says to the church, as we always do, he comforts them. And it's pretty cool what he says. He says, to those who overcome. Remember our passage in Revelation 12, 11, How do we overcome? The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. He says, to those of you who overcome, to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he says, I give you the power and the authority to sit with me at the right hand of the Father. Whew. Wow. Praise God. Amen. Talk about ultimate fellowship. There will be a day where we will have ultimate fellowship, where we will be with the Father and the Son for all eternity. Amen. And so the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, it's the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and the things to come. He is the Almighty One. Amen. He is the Lamb who is slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one that gives us the ability to overcome. How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And he says this, To all of you who put your faith and trust in me, I will give you the right, the authority, and the power to sit with me at the right hand of the Father. Do you remember what the disciples were always fighting over? Do you guys remember this? Who's going to be the greatest? And who gets to do what? Sit by Jesus up on the throne. Can I just tell you something? The things that they were fighting over, he's like, you guys don't even get it. It's for all of us. Amen. <laughs> we're all, we are all through the blood of Jesus Christ going to be in his presence. Amen. And have the right and the authority to sit with him at the throne of God. I look forward to that day. Amen. But may I say this until that day, until that day, may we have fellowship with Christ. Don't let the distractions of this life this may happen so easily. Let's stand. We're going to have a word of prayer. But as, I, as we get ready to sing and think about these words, let me just say this, that we can allow distractions and the things of life. We can get so busy, so busy. We can be like that church of Laodicea where the Lord is on the outside knocking and saying, I just want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. Will you let me in? Let me encourage you. You say, well, I, how do you stay on fire for God? Pastor Joe, how do you stay on fire for God? Keep spending time with Jesus. You can't help but be on fire for the Lord if you're spending time with him. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. Bless your word this morning. And Lord, uh, may each one here, may we realize just it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. The whole book of Revelation is all about you. Every book of the Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And it's through you that we overcome. And that we overcome by the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so, Lord, help us not to live a life, Lord, that lives as if there is no God. 
I know that there's no one here probably that would say, oh, I'm an atheist. But oh, I pray that we're not living like one. Lord, I pray that we truly are living each day of our life as if there is a God, for truly there is. In Jesus' name we pray.